So this week I got the opportunity to come in and finish the Lifeline series. So I get to go and hang out with our high schoolers that collide on Wednesday night. And what was happening years ago is still happening now. You're going to hear this morning the message that's going to be taught on Wednesday night and collide in this very room as kids come in. But one of the, the things that sometimes is difficult is for parents when we're in a series on friendships, which is what Lifelines has been about, it's really easy for us as parents to start putting on our parent glasses and go, okay, I'm listening to this for my kids. I do that as as a pastor. I go and I hear things or I'm reading a book sometime and I'm reading a book and my, my brain is translating, how do I take this concept in this book and teach it? How do I get this into our seniors or how do I get this to parents? And sometimes I have to stop and go, okay, Lord, what, wait, before I worry about what this means for anybody else, what does it mean for me? Like, let me internalize this. And so what I want us to do is we finish this Lifeline series talking about friendships. Again, it is, it's, it's easy for us to go, well, my kids are in that world. Like, they, they've got friendship problems. They're trying to find right friends. Most of us at this stage of our life, like, if we were really honest, we'd probably say, I probably have more friends than I really want at the moment, right? I mean, like... We're not like necessarily like hanging out all the time. We're not, we're not calling up and going, hey, what are you doing after work? You want to go hang out? Because we're going home and going, I hope I can get to bed by 8.30. You know? So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a different world. But I, I do want you to hear this message and reflect on the last three weeks. And I do want you to figure out how do we, how do we have this conversation at home with our kids? But first and foremost, how do I live it out? How does this passage of Scripture and what we're talking about as friendships affect me and the people that are around me. So some of the things, stories you'll hear maybe more geared towards high school, like I currently use for my devotional life. I use the same devotional that our teenagers use because it's my, one of my favorite devotionals I've ever picked up. But sometimes I have to read things and I have to translate what's written for a teenager into my life. So you might have to do that. But I came across this story that I thought was pretty cool because if you are a high school student or a junior high student, uh, for some of them, the, the their favorite part of the school day is lunch. It's the equivalent of elementary school recess, right? When I ask my fourth grader what's the best part about school, it's recess, and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because she only has 15 minutes of it. Like, for a teenager, recess is lunch for a lot of them. It's the time to get out of the classroom. You get to sit with your friends if they have the same lunch hour. You can talk. You can hang out, and you dread that bell ringing or whatever is going to send you back into the classroom. But for some other kids, lunch is the worst part of the day. If they're the shy kid, if they're the new kid, if they don't have a lot of relationships already, they don't have lifelines, these types of friendships that, that, that connect them to, uh, to others. Like that can be the worst part of the day, which is what I love uh, about the story that came out of Boca High School in Boca Raton, Florida. A kid named Dennis Esteban started a group called We Dine Together. Now, Dennis was an uh, immigrant from Haiti when he was in first grade, which he was a senior when he started We Dine Together. But even as a senior, he said, I can remember back being the new kid at school, not knowing anybody and, and feeling lost. And so the club, We Dine Together, is a group of kids who've got together at Boca High School, and they just made the commitment of two things. They said, one, we know when we walk into our cafeteria, it's segregated. It's like the kids that are on free and reduced lunch are over here, some of the wealthy kids are over here. Choir kids over here, football teams over here. And they said, we want, to, we want to change that. But more importantly, we also want to make sure that there's nobody sitting in the lunchroom all by themselves. 
And so Dennis started this club, and it took off. In fact, there's a kid named Jean that was on the football team at Boca High. He quit the football team because he wanted to put more time into We Dine Together. Allie, another girl in the article I read, she talked about how she had been a popular girl at the school she had been. Her dad got uh, transferred because of his job to Boca Raton, and she went from being the popular kid who knew everybody to the new kid at school who knew nobody. And she said, if it wasn't for We Dine Together for the club, I would have been lost. I thought it was so cool that, that some of these kids captured this idea. They saw something broken in the world in which they lived in their school. And they said, hey, let's do something about it. Now this club has gone into multiple schools all across the nation. Some kids, I mean, something's broken. Let's do something about it. And as we talk about friendships and lifelines, it, it wasn't just one kid. Even though Dennis started it, he brought some other people along to change his world. Now we talk about changing the world. That's big, right? I mean, if I go, let's go out, we're going to change our world. You're, that might work for junior hires and high schoolers. Yeah, let's go. We're much more jaded. We've already talked about it. We want to go to bed at 8.30, and it's hard to change the world when you're in bed at 8.30. I mean, it, it, our world is just different. We're busy. Even if we talked about changing our world, we go, man, I've got enough on my plate <clears throat> as it is. But sometimes, and this is what I'm hoping is going to happen this week, Sometimes we just have some conversations with some people about things that we see that are broken, things that we see that, that, that need to be different. And we have some conversations and we begin to see that God is at work because we say something and a friend goes, man, I feel that way too. And another friend goes, I feel that way too. And if we're sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing, the next thing you know, it's not just us changing the world individually. There's a group of us that are making a difference. When I was in high school, one of the things that, that I really struggled with, we had, we had a kid named Ryan. And I have told this story before, so you might, you might recall it. Ryan was the kid that um, showed up at camp and left camp transformed, literally. God would do such a work in his life at camp that he was ready to take on the world. He was ready to walk with Jesus. He was ready to, to share Jesus with his friends. He was ready to go to the mission field, and then school would start. And school would start, and the next thing we knew, Ryan, who left mission trip in the summer and camp in the summer, ready to be a pastor, was now drunk on Friday night. And on Saturday night, same thing. And he might come to church on Sunday with guilt and shame because he was embarrassed because he knew where he'd been Friday night and Saturday night, was not uh, consistent with what he said he believed and was showing up for on Sunday morning. And so he would go through the fall, football games, after football games, going out to whatever pastor, whoever's house, the party was at, and live that life. And then in February, we had an event called Disciple Now. Big event. Everybody came, and students came, and guest speakers would come, and you'd go into small groups and have Bible study. And invariably, at the end of Disciple Now, kind of commitment Sunday morning, Ryan would walk down front, and because the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his life was so heavy. He'd go, man, I'm turning my life around. And for the rest of February and March, things would be pretty good. And then in April and May and into the summer, it was back to that lifestyle. He just, he just rode this roller coaster of, I'm going to party. I'm going to do whatever I want for acceptance. And then I shouldn't put that at the high. That should be the low. And then, and then, and then Jesus does something in my life and then I'm back. And, and so I remember it was my senior year in high school. And we'd watched this for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And one of my close friends named Marshall, Marshall and I sat down with Ryan. He hung out with us all summer. He was on a high. And school had started. 
And we found out, heard again, Ryan's out. Ryan was drunk last weekend, whatever. And so we pulled him aside, like tired of it, really, and said, man, what are, like, what are you doing? Like, aren't you tired of riding this roller coaster of I'm with Jesus, I'm not, I'm with Jesus, I'm not? And this is what he said to us. <coughs> he said, man, I'm going to be real honest with you all. He said, I, I want to follow Jesus. I do. And like in the summer when we're all hanging out, it's the greatest and then school starts, and everybody's busy, and Marshall went to a different high school than, than, than I did, and he said, you guys aren't around. Marshall's playing football. Brett's watching football, you know, and, and he said, I, I, school starts, and I, and I realize, like, I, I'm utterly lonely. Like, I don't want to hang out at my, at my, with my parents on Friday night and Saturday night, and all these people are inviting me to come be a part of what's happening. He said, I just, I just want to be where people are at. That totally made sense. Like, like for, for me as a high school student, like, I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. That resonates. And so Marshall and I started talking. And I said, hey, on Sunday morning, I, I've already talked to my parents. Let's go in and walk around. We called it Sunday school at the time. Let's walk around to all the Sunday school classes and tell anybody and everybody that's in this youth ministry that on Friday night, uh, after one, well, usually Friday night, you know, football, we're, we weren't trying to do that. But on Saturday night, they can come over and hang out at my house anytime they want. We're not doing anything. I mean, it's not like we're not having game night, but there'll be games out, TV will be on, hot tub will be turned on. Just anybody that wants to come, let's come. And I told Marshall, I said, let's just, let's just make sure kind of our crew, we're just going to be at my house on Saturday night. And like 50 kids showed up. And we're blown away. And we, we, weren't organ- we weren't planning anything. We just, set, just had open door. And we told them, if you want to do something, that, that looks more like what Jesus might do than what the devil might do. Come on. And then Marshall's parents said, hey, next Saturday, let's, y'all, y'all come do it at our house. So that Sunday morning, we told everybody, hey, we're going to be at Marshall's house. And we told them on Wednesday nights and things like that. And all of a sudden, we start having parents from the youth minister popping up and go, hey, we want to take a night. We, give us a Saturday night. And so we started having Saturday night parties. It was not really a party, but well, it was because the kids were going out drinking. They weren't doing anything but just drinking. We weren't doing anything but not drinking. We were just hanging out. And, and, and it created a, a place for students to go and begin to transform people's lives. And people begin to go, hey, you know what? I don't have to go do that because I can go do this. And it changed our world. It did. Godly friendships. Godly friendships can change the world. They literally have that kind of power. And so for four weeks, we've been talking about lifelines. That friendships, the best friendships, are friendships that connect us to others that we can trust, that we can hold on to. And when we have those, we can see the world change. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that it will probably be pretty familiar to you. Um, but I don't want to assume <coughs> that everybody in the room knows what's happening in Acts. So let me kind of put it in its historical context so you know where we're coming from and where we're headed to. So all of the Bible... Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus. The Old Testament points to him. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell his story. And the rest of the New Testament reflect back on his story, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and what it means to the world and how we live. And so Acts is the first book in the Bible, in the New Testament, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. So the story of Jesus has been told, and now we're seeing what happens immediately after his resurrection and his ascension back in heaven. So what we're going to get a glimpse of is the very first church. Now, when I say that, let me, let me remind us, if you're not aware, teach you, the church is not a building. 
So when somebody says to you, and I'm guilty of this, no judgment, I do this all the time. But when people go, hey, where's your church? And we go, oh, it's, it's the big red brick one right past uh, Wolf Ranch. That's not really true. Because the church is the body of Christ who's covenanted together. That's why we have church membership. Because becoming a member says, hey, I'm in. I want to be a part of this covenant group together to do life together and follow after Jesus. That's the church. This is just the building. If this building burned down, First Baptist would not be gone. The building would be, but the church would still exist and we would just gather someplace else. So we're looking at the church, not a building. We're looking at the gathered group of people. And Luke, who writes Acts, gives us this brilliant, beautiful picture of what it's supposed to look like. So look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who had been saved. So we get this picture, but here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to do a little bit of a deeper dive into these verses, and I want us to see what these friends, because that's what they're doing. They're, they're in community <coughs> together. It's a group of believers who are doing life together, and they are invariably, even though the word friends is not in the passage, they, they have created relationships. The Greek word koinia that you've heard before, they, this unity, they, they have these type relationships, so they're friends. But I want us to do this dive into and see what did they do? And so if you're a note taker, they're going to pop up on the screen if you want to write them down, but they're going to come right out of Acts 2.42. So let's look at the first thing. We'll go back to the verse. First thing we see is that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They showed up for Bible study. There wasn't a Bible at the time. They had Old Testament teaching, the scriptures. They had the teachings of the apostles of what they had heard Jesus say and were recommunicating it back. But they showed up because they said, hey, we're devoted to this. Now, here's the thing. If you showed up today, you, can, you might be able to check that box. Not that I'm an apostle, but we're looking at what the apostles' teachings were in the Scripture. But here's the thing that's, that's key. They were devoted, devoted to the apostles' teaching. They didn't just show up. They, they wrapped their lives around this teaching. The teachings that they heard, they applied that's why every time you hear somebody on this stage get up and open the Word, I mean, there should be always someone going, hey, here's some application. Here's what you can do. Because we want you devoted to the teachings of the Scripture. And devotion means I am connected to it. I've got a heart connection to it. And it is transforming my life. There ought to be application in all that we do because we love the Word of God. We love the apostles' teachings and it's changing our life. But that's what these friends did. They got, when they gathered together, they talked about it, and they lived it out. Second thing you see up there, and it comes the very next thing. They were devoted to fellowship. That's a pretty good one, right? Like they were devoted to hanging out together. They, 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 you, you can't have relationships without shared stories, whether it be your kids or other people. 
So that, that's why, let me tell you this, even as adults, some of you are sitting in small groups. <coughs> if someone in your small group says, hey, a couple Sundays from now, let's go, let's go, to, let's go to church and let's go to lunch afterwards. Let, let me beg of you to say yes, because you need those people. You need those people in your life, those relationships. I call them 2 a.m. friends. The 2 a.m. when something goes wrong and you're like, you're headed to the emergency room or you just got the news that a family member passed away and you don't know what to do and you don't want to bother anybody, but you need something. That you have some 2 a.m. friends that you can call and go, hey, I'm sorry to wake you up, but I need you. And they go, why are you apologizing? You know where those 2 a.m. friends come from? Believers sharing stories. You know where believers share stories? By having fellowship together. You won't accidentally have friendships. Friendships aren't found. They're forged. You've got to work for them. And they they come in fellowship. And so we see this early church, they were devoted to fellowship. When somebody said, hey, do you want to go do this? Most of the time they were probably saying, no, I can't because I'm already doing this with these group of people. The ones that I'm walking the life with, walking with Jesus with. I'm going to say this to teenagers, but this is true for us too. And I'm speaking to myself more than anybody else. Devoted fellowship is not showing up, sitting in a small group, and then scrolling through Twitter while everybody around you does something else. I'm guilty. But real fellowship means that we are eye to eye. We're sharing life together. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to fellowship and to sharing of meals. That's a good one, too. Like, you get to hang out and eat together. That's like fellowship 2.0, right? I mean, when you sit down for a meal, it's not just, hey, let's, let's chat for a few minutes after the game. You're committed. You're in. And you're sharing a meal together. It takes fellowship to a deeper level. And then Luke even points out, not only did they eat together, they took the Lord's Supper or communion together. What that means is that their relationships, when they were together, were spiritually focused. Like, they weren't just, you know, kicking around like, what happened to the Longhorns and Aggies last night? I don't know. I don't either. They, they were talking spiritual things like, let's, let's pray for the Longhorns and pray for the Aggies because they need it. You know, they're, they're doing the Lord's Supper together, reflecting on Jesus and, and his death and resurrection. That's what they did when they hung out together. Devoted to the apostles' teachings, devoted to fellowship, devoted to eating together, and it says they were devoted to prayer. Like, not just praying at the table. They were devoted to prayer. Thank you so much. So we could stop right there for a second. Let's literally do it while I take a glass of water. We could stop there, and I could probably say, all right, just take those four things that just come devoted to this, 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 and this, and go, you find anything there that needs to change in your life? I, I would dare say every one of us in this room could go, yeah, I can find one out of the four. But there was more. We see that they, were, that they sold their stuff and they saw their money as a tool for ministry. Here's what it says quite literally. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's what Lifeline Friends did. Somebody said, hey, I got myself in some real debt trouble. My tax bill was more than I thought. And I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Lifeline friends said, well, you know what? Here, let me go through. Let me see. We can, we can sell this. and we, Garage sale next week. Everybody gather because we got this need to meet. They didn't see their stuff as theirs. They saw it as ours. They saw it as the Lord's given to them to steward 
for their friends. And they sold their stuff and they sold their possessions. And then they, they worshiped together. I mean, listen, the new normal, right or wrong, and I'm not sure it's right, but the new normal is like the average church member shows up like two Sundays a month. Look at what, what it was in verse 46. They worship together at the temple each day. They didn't go to church on Sundays. They went on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And then when they got done, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Like they went to church daily and then went home group right afterwards. That's where we'll go. It's different. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you're not going to see us roll out at FBG like, hey, we're doing services seven days a week and you should come to every one of them. But, but we have, we've got to reflect back on what did the early church look like that did change the world and realize they, they, were, they worshiped together on a regular basis. They saw their stuff, all of these things they were devoted to. Those are some heavy things. And, and we're, we're, like if we were grading ourselves, whew, we're not doing real well. But before we feel just guilty about it, and, and, and there's no reason, we don't need to come out and go, oh man, I, I want to be like the early church, and we're not, and what do we do, if feel guilty? Let's, let's do this, let's, let's flip the coin, and let's just for a moment be inspired by what happened when they did it. Okay, so we looked at what they did, let's look at what happened. Here's the first thing we know, we know in, inherently in reading that passage, needs were met, right? People didn't suffer financially. Because everybody was in for everybody else. And so we saw that already. They sold their stuff. So we know inside this community, the financial needs and the stress that come with that was different. Primary, or I think, I think it's still the number one reason for divorce in America, finances. What, what does it say when a group of friends say, you know what, we're not going to let finances be a stress in your life because we're going to be in this together. It makes healthier marriages. When people go, man, that, these friends changed my life. But look at, look at what else happened. Go back to a verse. I skipped it a second. Go look at verse 43. I wrote it as this. They saw God move in crazy ways. Verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles, I'm sorry, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I mean, they started living this way, and God showed up. And they were walking around going, man, did you hear what happened? Did you see this? Do you see what God did in this family's life? Do you see what God's doing in my life? They walked around in a sense of awe because the Holy Spirit showed up when they started living out what the church is supposed to live out. Man, I want that. Like, I, I feel like in my life, and this is maybe because I'm not looking. I'll be fair at that. Maybe I'm not looking. But I feel like I'm not walking around seeing miracles every day. I mean, I am. I get it. Breath in my lungs is a miracle. The fact that I got up this morning after five pieces of pizza last night is probably a miracle. Uh, you know, with no exercise. I mean, I get it. But I'm not walking around, and maybe it's my fault, but I'm not walking around with a sense of awe. But I don't, I don't think it's because I think it was different. I think because of what they were doing, the Lord showed up in a new and fresh way, and they were in awe because they had no choice but to be in awe because of what they were seeing. And that's incredible. It says in verse, I've skipped around, I should have put the verses up there. But they were filled with joy, which led to more generosity. Um, 
Yeah, it says that in verse 46. After they met in the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They love life. Like, this is fun. And, and, and because of it, it spurred more generosity in their life. They were already willing to, to give up things for each other. But the more they lived joyfully, the more they saw God work, the more they were like, yeah, we're in. I guess we don't, I guess we don't need a car. We can walk. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're considering those type things. And then I love this. The world around them took note and were impressed. It says this in 47. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That pastor, that's not about them. That's about the people around them. They lived in such a way that lost people, people that were not a part of the church, that were not a part of the community, had goodwill towards them. A good friend of mine, and pastor, he says this all the time. You've probably heard me say it. I just saw it from him. He says, good deeds lead to goodwill, which leads to the good news. I'll say that again in case you're a writer. Good deeds, doing good things, leads to goodwill, people liking you, which leads to the good news, the gospel. And his church is living that out in Tracy, California. We had an opportunity to go do mission stuff with them uh, one, a couple years ago. And that's what he, he taught me that. And I just heard that, man, I love that. But they were living it out. So one of the things that we did when our group of high schoolers went and flew to San Francisco and then drove over to Tracy, California to live for a spring break during the week is we just did good deeds in the community. Now, he was strategic about it. Like their church had home groups that met in different neighborhoods. And so he strategically found like four home groups that were really good, that would be great about like, like somebody from a neighborhood coming in and being part of their home group. And so he contacted the city and said to the city, hey, we want to come and help you. Tell us what you need in any of these neighborhoods. And the city first wouldn't respond to him because what he found out later was people call all the time telling the city, hey, we want to help. And then the city goes, hey, great, could you do this? And they go, yeah, we can do that, but it's going to cost $200,000. And the city goes, well, thanks, but, thanks, but no thanks. Like, that's, that's, we thought you wanted to help. So they quit calling people back. But Chris had a connection to the city. That guy got in and started talking to people, and that's when they explained this why we don't do it. And they said, no, 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 this group's coming. They, they just want to bless our city. And the city said, okay, well, how about this? Our parks and rec team is overwhelmed, and we've got uh, picnic tables and stuff in all of these neighborhoods that you're talking about that need to be repainted. It's, I mean, we, just, we have more important things to do, so we haven't been doing it with our time and energy, but, man, they're starting to fall apart. And Chris said, we're, we're on it. We got it. And so we went in, and we did that. We also did a community uh, garden thing, kind of refurbished it because it was in bad shape, but did several different projects that the city said, hey, we want you to do. Could they paint this wall that's got graffiti all over it? Done. We'll buy all the paint. We'll buy all the paintbrushes. We got the ladders. We got everything. City, don't worry about it. Just wake up tomorrow and see it painted fresh and clean. One of the crazy things, you talk about this, number four, the world around them took note and were impressed. I'm standing outside one day in this neighborhood loading up. We've been there for a couple of days. And I see this, this conversation happening in a car, uh, like a, a house over. And later, Chris tells me, because it's his neighbor, his neighbor who's not a believer, he's not a follower of Jesus, another neighbor in their neighborhood, because we were working in that one, was one, has driven up and he's seen these vans and he's seen people out painting and he's seen ladders and he's seen all this stuff. And so the friend who doesn't know Jesus drives up to the other neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and he goes, hey, what is going on? And the neighbor, not a part of the church, not a part of anything, goes, man, you won't believe it. Like these kids, these kids, they flew from Texas. And then, you know, Chris, you know, my neighbor, Chris, oh yeah, I know Chris. Yeah, he's the one that does the, the uh, movies in, the, in our park. Yeah, yeah. So they're friends with Chris. They flew in, they paid for themselves to come, 
And they've bought all the paint and stuff. They're, they're painting all of, our, uh, all, of our play, all of our picnic tables and things. And they, they went, oh, you know the community garden on the backside? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, that's like the dirt, the gravel pit. Yeah, yeah. He said, go, go by and see it. And they've redone it all. It's got like granite pathways and stuff now. It is fantastic. And the guy goes, you kidding me? And so Chris is telling me later, the lost guy's evangelizing the other lost guy. He's like, yeah, they're all part of Chris's church. You know, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Because good deeds lead to goodwill, it leads to the good news. That's what's happening in this early church. People around are taking note, and then here's the best thing of all. It's what Luke finishes this part of the chapter with. He says, in each day, every day, 365 days a year, the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Like people were breathing eternally for the first time. You, you, you get this, right? Death to life. From hell to heaven. That, that's, that's life change. People's lives are being transformed radically because the church was the church. Because some godly friends got together and intentionally or unintentionally, just by doing these things intentionally, God began to use them. The Spirit began to move. And revival, not, well, it wasn't revival. These people had never known Jesus. The Spirit of God fell upon and people began to know Him for the very first time. That's incredible. It's just godly friendships changing the world. They didn't have an evangelism strategy plan. Not that we know of. They weren't like, hey, let's do door to door. If you memorize these four things, they'll explain the gospel to somebody. They're just living it out and and, and opportunities of seeing brokenness, fixing it. So here's the application. Here's what I want you to do. It's easy. Now everyone, I know sometimes like I got five applications and I'm working on two from last week and three from the week before. It's very easy. Would you just have a conversation this week with some friends about something that breaks your heart? That's all I'm asking you to do. Have some conversations with some people about some things that bother you. They may be big things. It may be like, like world hunger. It may be like poverty. I mean, it could be... Abortion. I mean, you take, take it's big things. If it breaks, to have some conversations. Maybe small things. You you might have sat right here and you haven't got past the first story of we dine together because you're dealing at home with a kid who's in that no friends at, at school and or, or maybe struggling with friends at church. And maybe you weren't there and it's breaking your heart. Just have a conversation with somebody. I don't know if it will change anything. One conversation, it may not. But what if in that conversation, as you begin to share, somebody else that you're sharing with goes, yeah, I feel that too. And you guys start talking about it. Go, hey, well, maybe we can do, should we just start praying about this? See what God might be doing? And you'll be surprised. The Holy Spirit sends somebody else to you that week. And they say something, and you go, we were talking about that this week. Here's kind of what we started praying about. Me and another friend, they go, man, I'll join you in praying about that. And next thing you know, you start to see the Spirit of God moving in a group of friends who start to do something that changes their world. What's broken? What is it that bothers you? And if you go, man, I can't think of anything. Well, okay, then your, then your application is to start praying, Lord, what, what are you breaking my heart for? Because we live in a broken world. And if we're walking with Jesus, broken things are going to catch our attention. And see just what the Lord might do to change it. There's an art, artwork, I guess you would call. It's called Kintsugi. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's Japanese. Started in the 1300s when 
a Japanese shogun had his favorite tea bowl and he dropped it and it broke. And he had the power and the resources to gather people and said, this is my favorite tea bowl, figure out how to fix it. And they sent it off to craftsmen to fix it and it came back and had been put together and it had staples in it to hold it together. And the shogun said, no, this is awful. So he took his craftsman, he said, I want you to figure out how to fix my tea bowl. And they started this artwork. You might have seen things like this. It's where they take pottery that's been broken. This was not purposefully done. This, this is an example of one that's been broken. And the pieces were put back together. And these Japanese craftsmen developed a type of glue, and they filled it with the finest of gold powders. And so it was gold glue, and they put the tea bowl back together. And it's more valuable than it ever was before. Like that's, you see things like this. And they sell for way more than the white vase before it was broken did. And that's what God's called us to do. To take broken things and make them better. Because he is in the process of one day coming back and redeeming all the broken things. And until then, we're here to partner with him to make them more like heaven than they were before. Application is this. Just have some conversations. With your kids, maybe. If you're married, have a conversation with your spouse. Have some conversations in your small group in a second. You've got questions in the app. I didn't add this question, but what breaks your heart? And just see, maybe the Lord might start something that changes the world. Let me pray for us, and you've got some time to talk. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come and to open up your word with one of my favorite groups of people in this church. Lord, as they are parenting their teenagers, God, I pray that you'd give them wisdom this week. Say, deal with friendships. As we talk about friendships, Lord, give them some key touch points this this week to, to talk about friendships with their kids, to reflect back on your word, to infuse their conversations with scripture, to pray together specifically about friendships and friendships that are lifelines. And Lord, I pray for these men and women here that they would have 2 a.m. friends. Lord, help us to be more like the church in its beginning than now. Lord, move in our hearts if there's something you're calling us to do. Supernaturally engineer circumstances to put people together to share common experiences and give them the wisdom, the creativity to make broken things new. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.